in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Keith. Let's give Keith a round of applause. Yeah, he did great. All right, I'm so glad that you guys are all here and that we're back. I know that it's been, that was a really weird way to hold a microphone like this. Um, it's been a, like, just off and on past couple of weeks with the Super Bowl, the retreat last weekend, off-campus groups. I think it's been a month since we've met. So I'm glad you all are here. I'm really excited to be back in the Word. Um, and because it's been so long, we're going to do a little bit of review on what we've gone over. And so I have some incentives tonight for you guys to answer some questions. The incentive is Hershey's. So if you like chocolate, this is the night for you. So we're doing the Sermon on the Mount. That's our series that we're going over this semester. Can anyone remember, if you're not a D-group leader with middle schoolers, can anyone remember what chapter we're starting off in in the Sermon on the Mount? What book and chapter? Yes. Oh, what? No, you don't count. <laughs> Anyone else besides for Briggs? <gasps> oh, yeah, sure. Why not? Matthew 5. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5, that's where we're going to be tonight. That, if you're not familiar with your Bibles, that is the first book of the New Testament. It's like in the last maybe like third or fourth of your Bible. Um, so we're going to do a little bit of recap with the verses. The first, let's see, 15 verses, sorry, 16 verses that we've gone over to, so far. So we've gone over the Beatitudes and Salt and Light. So can I have a volunteer to read the first 10 verses in the Beatitudes? Yes, Annalise. And then can I have a volunteer to read verses 11 through 16? Okay, we'll just have the Vogelars do it tonight. Okay, I got to, sorry, that was a really bad toss. Come all the way back here. Okay. One through ten. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice. Because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and gives it and gives it and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see the good, good works and give glory to, to your Father in heaven. Perfect. Thanks, Vogelars. Okay, so today we are going to be working our way through a little bit of a thick section, theologically speaking. So hopefully reading that jogged your memory a little bit. But these next few verses that we're going to go over tonight are a little bit thicker, and so I want to spend some time um, just talking about theology for a second. 
So when we talk about that word, we use it a lot in church. Um, I don't even really have a good definition of it. But when I was looking it up online, the dictionary definition is the study of religious faith, practice, and experience. But simply put, it just means God's word. Um, and so whenever you think about these two things, and we are studying, you guys are now theologians tonight, because we're going and we're studying and we're taking a deep dive deep dive into God's word. And so um, as we go through this, if you have questions, ask your D group leader. They might might not know all of the answers, but it's better to ask a question um, than just to be thinking about it or be confused about it in your head. So be a good question asker. As we're going through scripture, always feel comfortable asking questions. Um, speaking of someone who was a scholar in the word in the Bible, we find that Jesus was that way. If you flip back one chapter, you might not need to flip back entirely, but if you look in chapter four, we see that Jesus is tempted um, by Satan. We see that he's tempted in three different ways. Uh, We see that in rebuttal to Jesus's temptation, he quotes scripture. So we know that Jesus stood on scripture, that he knew scripture, and that he could quote it and um, give it as an example for things to say. And so we know, we know that scripture is important. We know that the Old Testament is important because Jesus could say it and could quote it. So in the next coming weeks on the Sermon on the Mount, we will see that Jesus sets this standard impossibly high. The Sermon on the Mount shows us our need for Jesus and that we can't accomplish the standard on our own. And next week, we're going to talk about anger. And Jesus is saying, if you have anger in your heart, it's like committing murder towards that person. If you lust towards someone, that's like committing adultery. So we see that here's our standard. And then here is the standard that Jesus presents. And that gap, we cannot fill that gap on our own. And that's going to be the constant drumbeat that we are experiencing in the Sermon on the Mount. So we can see that Jesus is setting an impossibly high standard for us. And that includes our text tonight. And the Sermon on the Mount shows us our need for Jesus. All of his teachings point to him. They show us that we need him. The Sermon on the Mount is not the Old Testament law 2.0. It's not just a set of rules that once we follow them, then we'll be the perfect Christian. No, the Sermon on the Mount exposes our need for Christ. It shows us our need for Jesus. Okay, so with that being kind of the forerunner, let's talk about the verses for tonight. So I'll read verse 17. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. Okay, so let's put that verse in layman's terms. From this verse, we can see that Jesus did not come to just tear apart the Old Testament or the prophets or the law or the Pentateuch, which are the first five books of the Bible, or anything in the Old Testament. He came to fulfill them. Jesus is the one who all of the prophets in the Old Testament point to. He is the one that the entire Old Testament points to. When we're talking about the law and the prophets, we're talking about the Old Testament in its entirety and all of its confusing stories and all of its confusing people. All of those things point to Jesus. And if you have spent any time 
in the Old Testament, you can plainly see that these people needed an intervention, an intervention from the Lord. They were so broken. When we think about Exodus, we think about Moses going up to Mount Sinai and then, then all the people building a golden calf. And then we see the judges and the kings and the brokenness, all the cycles of sin and all of the cycles of turning to false gods. We see this over and over and over. People looked to judges and kings and rulers for hope, but none of those situations or people fully satisfied. And we see that Jesus quotes in Luke 24. He says, This is what I told you while I stood with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So Jesus knew his purpose. He knew it every moment he was here on earth. His purpose was to bring a greater hope than the Old Testament ever promised. What was started in the Old Testament was accomplished and finished in the New Testament through Jesus. Okay, let's look at verse 18. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So when we're looking at the Hebrew alphabet, we see the iota is basically the smallest letter in the alphabet. It's essentially like an apostrophe um, in our language today. Jesus' Jesus's statement shows that he had high regard to the Old Testament, that he viewed it as accurate, and it was reliable down to the smallest de- detail. Jesus spoke about the law and prophets and never once hinted that the Old Testament didn't matter. He talked about Isaac and Jacob, he talked about Jonah, he talked about Moses and David, among many other people in the Old Testament. Um, And many people like to distance themselves from the Old Testament. I don't know if you've been there before, where um, you start to read something in the Old Testament at the beginning of the year, and you're like, this is too hard, this is too weird, This this doesn't make sense. Trust me, I am doing a Bible in the year plan, and it is hard to work your way through the Old Testament. It's confusing. I have questions, and I wonder often, like, what is even going on? What was God doing here? But clearly, from this passage, we see that Jesus upheld the Old Testament. He knew it, and he wasn't ashamed by it, so we shouldn't be. Jesus came to pave a better way for us, though. We see that we need a break from all the sin cycles that we see in the Old Testament. We need a break from those bad patterns. We see that Jesus is the better way. And he, here, he is stating that he is the better way. People listening at the time had no idea. They didn't get it. They didn't fully understand. But now with the Bible in its entirety, we get to read and we get to understand We get to read the New and Old Testament together, and it's beautiful the way that they work in tandem. Jesus was the perfect solution. In the Old Testament, if you're familiar with it, they worked on the sacrificial system. So they had to sacrifice a bull or a ram or any sort of animal, um, so that way there could be blood that atoned for their sin. Jesus' blood that was shed was the one and only sacrifice that we need. We don't need to bring a bull or a ram up to our church stage every Sunday night and sacrifice for our sins here at Youth Group because Jesus died for us. And we, we don't think about this fact very often, but it's an amazing fact. He came to accomplish what he said he would. Okay, let's look down in verse 19 here. 
It says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So through this, we can see that we can't pick apart God's word. The Old Testament matters. We cannot pretend like it doesn't just because it makes us uncomfortable. Um, a popular saying today is, live your own truth. I don't know if you guys have heard this, but I've heard many students or people on Instagram or social media say, you just need to live your truth. Um, and I think that that sounds good in theory, but it's kind of a scary statement when you think about it. Um, when I was thinking about that statement, I, like a circumstance came to mind where this past summer I had a conflict with a friend and um, we weren't like seeing things eye to eye. So we had this, this situation and then a few weeks later we came back um, to talk about it and I realized that even though we were present for the same exact conversation, we were both coherent and mentally, physically there. We came away with totally different understandings. I don't know if this has ever happened to you where you and a sibling are in trouble by a parent because someone threw something or someone did something bad and your parents are like, what happened? And here you are side by side and you tell two totally different stories. Not because you're lying, but just because maybe something happened differently and you saw something a different way. Um, our truth isn't always right. We're not always correct in the way that we see things because we bring our whole set of emotions and our own filters to things. And so my truth, thoughts, and experience was no more valid than my friends in this conversation, um, even though we did not agree on what transpired. Um, so if we don't set our sights on objective truth, truth from Scripture, then we'll be led astray. Um, we need to have a concrete truth that we base our life on. And we see here that Jesus used Scripture and the Holy Spirit as unwavering um, truth for him. So let's read down in verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So again, we see that Jesus is setting the bar impossibly high. Pharisees and scribes get a really bad rep um, because of the way that they challenged Jesus, the way that they just like clearly did not understand Jesus's purpose. Um, but they were actually really smart. They were Bible scholars. Um, not any of us in this room have, well, I don't think, have a master's degree or any degree from seminary. Um, and so the scribes and Pharisees were very Bible literate. They were very intelligent people. And Jesus says here in this verse that unless your righteousness is even greater than theirs, you won't obtain it. So that brings us back to our main point for tonight, that we can't do this on our own. We try and we try to do the right thing, just exactly as Tim was talking about this morning in his sermon. We try to be moralistic, we try to be good people, but even in our best attempts, we fail the scribes and Pharisees tried to do it without Jesus, and that led to pride and conformity, but an unchanged heart. Jesus is calling us to a totally different standard, a standard in which our hearts are changed from the inside out because of him. Is our heart changed because of Jesus, or are we just trying to be moralistic and judgmental towards other people who we think that we're better than? 
And so when we think about this scripture for tonight, I want you to examine your heart. Do you think that you can accomplish it without Jesus? It's an honest question. I think oftentimes in church, you know, as Tim said this morning, we think that we can do it on our own. We think that we can be a good person. We think that we can obtain um, salvation on our own. And we totally leave Jesus outside of the equation. Um, And so this is always a good reminder. Even if you know everything that I said tonight, the, the gospel is always a reminder that our that our hearts need. And so I want you to think about that tonight in D groups. I sent questions out earlier this week for you all D group leaders. Um, I want you to think about those things. If there's questions you have, ask your D group leader. It doesn't necessarily have to be over the verses tonight, but if you have questions about if you can believe scripture or if you can believe the Old Testament, ask. Ask your D group leader. They may not have the perfect answer for answer for you, but I think those questions are good to ask. And here in church, I think a lot of times if we're experiencing doubt or questions, we think that is a bad thing, something that we have to hide away and figure out on our own because we're too scared to ask those questions out loud. But here's an environment where you can, and I encourage you to ask those hard questions like, Scripture can handle it. God can handle our hard questions. And I bet any of our D group leaders have asked some of those hard questions themselves as they've journeyed through faith. And so um, that's kind of what I want you to focus on tonight. I'll pray for us and we can break for D groups. God, I am so grateful that you are with us, that your Holy Spirit is with us when we're tackling scripture, Lord. I thank you that we have the ability to read our text and that we can um, learn more about who you are through it. Lord, I just pray that you give us a desire to want to grow and to learn and to take in scripture, Lord. And I just pray for students here tonight that are experiencing doubts or hardship. Lord, I just pray that um, tonight could be a way that they could open up those conversations with their D group leaders or with their friends, Lord. I pray um, that we as a church would just come together and um, support one another in struggles and support one another in the hard questions, Lord. Um, May you give us an unwavering faith. Um, May you be um, the cornerstone in our lives, Lord. In your name I pray, amen.